0: it's really been amazing bringing um everybody together to talk around our uh food systems really um there's been a, a lack of that for the past couple of years so
1: hi there and welcome back to another episode of sustaining with shana a show where i will share all the amazing and exciting works of sustainability happening across the eastern foothills of the Appalachian Mountains to the lush farmlands of southeastern Pennsylvania. By celebrating our community, we can help to bridge the gap between local and international sustainability endeavors. Today's guest is Lucine Sahelnik, Reading City Councilwoman and organizer of Reading's Victory Garden Task Force. Recently, we sat down together to talk about the story behind the creation of the task force and how it is helping people in need. We also discussed how this program breathes new life into urban gardening in our community by helping to build important relationships with local organizations and also by developing programs about gardening for the city's residents. Together, we discussed how new initiatives like this could help to build resiliency in the city and to also shape the city's climate action plan. Reading's Victory Garden Task Force has been so successful, it has attracted the attention of others outside of the city, as well as developing a supportive online community of newfound urban and suburban farmers. If you would like to learn more about what Victory Gardening is and its many benefits, check out the weekly Ingest newsletter that was published on June 29th over on the Sustaining with Shana website. The newsletter can be found under the resource blog tab. Before we meet our guest, let's hear a word about our sponsor. <laughs> Today's sponsor is FD Market. FD Market is a small, sustainable, everyday goods shop located in Emmaus, Pennsylvania, and also just turned six months old recently. Their goal is to provide affordable and practical sustainability products and resources to their community. Better yet, their products are ethically and as locally sourced as possible. Products like alternatives to plastic wrap and storage containers, to shampoo bars, and toothpaste tablets. A few months ago, I was excited to learn about Market, a zero-waste home goods store that was finally coming to our community. It gives me hope that people now have the opportunity to go sustainable and support a small local business at the same time. I'm most excited about trying to reduce my plastic waste consumption in the bathroom with all the products we use are stored in bottles made with terrible petrochemicals. To start, I'm excited to try the shampoo bars that FD market sells. Do you want to give FD market a try and begin to live a zero waste lifestyle? Well, you're in luck as part of a special promotion, You can get 15% off your next purchase with the promo code "SustainingWithShana." This promo code can be used on their online store as well as in person. If you don't live in eastern Pennsylvania, don't worry. FD Market can ship your order right to your front door. For listeners who are local, FD Market just opened back up their physical store on June 5th. Check out their website fdmarketco.com and their social media accounts for more details for their hours as well as policies and procedures during COVID-19. Welcome back to another episode of Sustaining with Shana. Today I have another special guest on and please introduce yourself and your role with the community.
0: I am Lucine Sahelmik. I am uh, currently a councilwoman. Uh, For the City of Reading, my district is District 1, which is the best. And um, I also have the role of Vice President for City Council. Um, That's my official capacity. Um, And I also uh, enjoy serving in our community. I'm currently President of the Friends of the Reading Hospital. Um, And uh, just really happy to be on this podcast with you, Shana. Thanks so much.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I'm excited. for our conversation and with all your knowledge and experience I think it'll be really enjoyable for the listeners so without further ado what uh what is the Burke's Victory Garden initiative and how does that work relate to what you do as a city councilwoman
0: the Burke's um Victory Garden uh actually as a task force that I convened, um, I thought it was one of the things that I could do as a councilwoman uh, during the COVID um, you know, crisis here that we've been experiencing and still are experiencing. It really was an opportunity to bring uh, all, all of my areas of focus, what I enjoy doing, what I'm passionate about, into one place with uh, a lot of different people that I've enjoyed meeting along you know, my pathway uh, to where I am and what I'm doing. And um, it might not be the most conventional uh, you know, opportunity to um, use your leadership uh, to convene others um, around foods, but I believe that it is very important um, and it has been successful so far. Uh, and we are just about at the end um, or phase four of, of the what we're calling a Cultivate Community Initiative. Um, and really, like I said, it was a way to bring together, uh, you know, m- more so, you know, what are we doing as a community during times of crisis? But how does that also relate to our very basic needs? Um, you know, in, in our in our hierarchy of needs, food is is always um, very prominent. And, you know, how does that bring us together as a community? So when you know, if we're food insecure, and we've seen how COVID has completely disrupted our food system. Um, you know, from distribution and manufacturing to your local farmers, you know, that, that are less than 10 miles away from, from where we are. I'm, I'm in Reading, right? So less than 10 miles away from me. There, there are people who are in the agriculture sector um, who, you know, as an industry and an entrepreneur have been affected. Um, how, do we, how do we start addressing uh, those issues um, on a local level? Um, through something that is seemingly positive. Uh, Victory Gardens, we know the history. Um, most, most I should say, uh, people are aware of the history and, and a, a big shout out to Alexis Campbell and the Brooks History Center for really being you know, uh, one, one of the culprits here of having these conversations around Victory Gardens and seeing them return, um, which we have all over the world really um, you know, during, during COVID. Uh, to re-engage our community um, and to engage them on a very basic level, which is food security and engaging, um, you know, with each other. Uh, so that's, that's you know, in brief, that's kind of how it came together. Um, and we've had four phase or three phases, um, and they've all been successful so far. Um, we're just starting to plan for phase four. And uh, I'm, I'm excited to talk about it with you today.
1: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So with that, kind of then what is the relation that uh, the city's cultivating community Victory Garden aspect to kind of what is happening at the county level? Because there's kind of two different, um, I wouldn't say two different programs, but there's two Mm -hmm. different aspects to it. For those that may not know.
0: Yeah, we're working together. And one of the things that unites us is, you know, our, our tagline. So you can follow along with hashtag um, Burke's Victory Gardeners, either on a Facebook group that was created by, again, Alexis Campbell, um, or also there's an Instagram feed uh, that's being monitored by, shout out to a wonderful intern, uh, Sophia Harris. Um, That is her project with me, Um, you know, this summer, and uh, she's really doing an exceptional job. So the two are intertwined, Um, and they're intertwined because, like I said, those two individuals that I mentioned by name are on the task force that I commissioned Um, to work together because, you know, obviously hunger uh, doesn't know any boundaries and Mm -hmm. a concept as delightful as, you know, cultivating community doesn't stop in a district or a city or a county or a township. Um, You know, I think the the participation on a a county level is beautiful. Um, You know, it really continues to tie together uh, you know, our urban core uh, with our beautiful, um, you know, agricultural and pastoral countrysides here in that makes up Brooks County. And, um, yeah, they're connected, uh, you know, so people are sharing, uh, you know, the, the Victory Garden task force specifically that, that I launched was city centric and it was uh, focused on District 1 because that is my district and that made sense um, trying to, you know, launch a program for the entire city of Reading, uh, during a crisis, you know, uh, probably not the easiest thing. Uh, so we thought let's start, uh, with a focus, um, and, and a, and a tight scope, um, and see what we can accomplish. And I think, Gina, like what we've accomplished is pretty mm-hmm. amazing so far.
1: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's a kind of perfect segue to my next question of what, what do you hope uh, will be the, what is the hope and the goal of this program? Because once COVID-19 is over, a lot of these priorities will still exist, but they won't become priorities anymore. So what is the hope and the goal to build resiliency in a post COVID-19 world? Well, that's such an excellent point,
0: you know, because it doesn't, things don't just disappear, you know, once COVID subsides. And, and that's where, when we look at sustainability, okay, uh, we're talking about uh, creating, um, you know, opportunities for the future, uh, you know, and, and this is one of them, you know, not, not just for now, but for the future, but let's not forget. Um, that it wasn't so long ago that a lot of people were growing their own food, uh, you know, in in very small ways, in, you know, substantial ways. um, You know, for me, I grew up in a really um, urban environment just outside of uh, Washington, D.C., but even there in my childhood, you know, we had, we always had herbs, you know, we had tomatoes, we had peppers, we had grapes and your grapevines and um, a rose, rose bushes, very specific roses that my, my grandmother would make rose jam out of, you know, so it was Mm -hmm. like, it was just part of, of our living, our everyday living and survival. Um, Somehow we've come far, far away from that, where we Mm -hmm. uh, associate our food, you know, with manufacturing, we associate our food from a grocery store or a distribution point uh, you know people have become so disconnected from their food source uh, that you know i i think this is just a way to bring everybody back to reality <laughs> um, mm-hmm. and you know that that's one of the goals uh, in terms of setting up a task force you know i had specific outcomes that i was trying to accomplish i really wanted to empower people to grow their own food mm-hmm. you know i i think uh, it, it's astounding to me you know how many people don't realize how easy you know and I'm going to say this relatively speaking I know that people have a lack of access to resources uh you know we but but even in a bucket you know even in a in in, a, in an area that you know um you know, might not have a lot of green space you can still grow food and I wanted people to know that and have the education around that and what that process is like um, you know, we, we can battle climate change and become more sustainable through a Victory Garden initiative or through growing our own food, to, for, you know, looking at um, our uh, at creating edible landscaping, you know, creating um, designated areas for food um, in our yards or on our porches. Um, we could promote community health and, you know, community health, not only just from eating and, and being able to access more um, nutrient-dense Real food, uh, you know, but also uh, talking about how that affects, you know, um, the mind and the spirit of us as a community and, you know, creating opportunities for other districts to follow our model. Right. So that's about cultivating community. You talk about um, What we're seeing this in Brooks County, you know, we're seeing this um, just disclaimer uh, when we allowed people to sign up for the first phase of the victory garden distribution. Um, you know, it was intended for District 1 citizens, but there were people even outside of the city of Reading who signed up for one, and we graciously provided them for anybody who had signed up, you know, mm-hmm. so it's, so that's, um, already we see that, you know, outcome, um, and finally, to engage and support local businesses, because, you know, they definitely have been impacted as well, and, you know, to bring them into a community-based initiative to get them engaged. Um, you know, we had a lot of materials and time and people power uh, donated by businesses um, like uh, Giorgio's, you know, and like DS Smith. And, um, you know, it, it brings everybody together um, on, a, on a level where everybody is helping each other, you know, supporting each other. So that's where that Cultivate community comes from.
1: Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and so a question to kind of ask for clarification with this when you talk about phase one and phase two Mm were how many phases of this project are they and what do they entail
0: so we're we're going to stop at four Um, And we really did not know what to expect coming into this. So we started just, you know, kind of brainstorming and saying, okay, what, how should we do this first? Phase one was the initial concept and distribution. We worked with the master gardeners of, um, you know, Penn State Extension and um, the Food Trust uh, out of Philadelphia. We have a reading chapter here, which is really dynamic. Um, you know we we came together and we said, okay we're going to um, put together 250 boxes you know these we had uh, these um, sustainable uh, corrugated um, what's well, you know a wax covered almost like a food box mm-hmm. container that is compostable um, for d s Smith that they designed their design team was really excited about making these and um, you know, and then fabricated them for free. And um, their, their team uh, put them together and assembled, you know, all of these containers, which uh, look like um, garden boxes that you would have on like your front porch or at a window. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, then the master gardeners uh, were able to donate um, over 750 plants that they had grown and cultivated from seed. Uh, to, you know, put in the soil that was donated by Giorgio's, which is um, organic um, mushroom compost, which is amazing that we had like 38 cubic yards of, of soil <laughs> donated to us. And, you know, assembling this and then using the Citizens um, Request Service and encouraging people to download the iRequest app um, for the city of Reading. That, that's a great um, app that we have that allows people to just communicate um, and make requests and ask questions. So we asked for phase one, people to sign up for a victory garden. Um, And it was a container, just like I described. And we had uh, 75, actually, I think we had closer to 80 uh, people sign up for that first phase. So we distributed them from downtown Reading. Um, We had a little drive up contactless, uh, you know, delivery where people drove up and we dropped it right into the trunk of their car and took pictures and and asked them to follow along um, using one of the social media platforms to continue telling the story. So that was phase one. Uh, Phase two was pretty impressive. We partnered with the 18th Wonder Improvement Association and the Berks Community Health Center in Oak Brook as well as um, some funding that we had uh, received um, through the United Way. And we were able to distribute 100 of our um, containers um, to families with children. Uh, When they hosted the uh, food pantry pickup um, by by the um, uh, food bank, um, I'm sorry, Helping Harvest now, uh, you know, they they had a food distribution already set up where they're doing a mobile market. Um, we said, hey, can we just join? <laughs> can we hand out mm-hmm. gardens? Um, specifically to families with children because what we had was an opportunity to create a bag um, from the 18th Wonder Improvement Association that had children's um, books on gardening gloves, garden gloves, aprons, um, you know, some tools. Uh, And then we also included census information, which was really important because it's an undercounted area um, in Reading. And we easily handed out, you know, over 100 (laughs) of them um, on that day in, in less than like two hours. So it was amazing. Um, Because there you have an example of people who are in need and they're coming to get food, but then they're also getting a garden and they're getting the opportunity to grow and and learn about growing food. And that helps anybody who is food insecure. Um, This is really amazing to to experience that. Uh, Phase three uh, was on opening day of the Penn Street Farmer's Market, which happened two weeks ago. And in addition to supporting them and, um, you know, their tenacity of opening up during COVID, uh, you know, because they are really one of the few um, fresh food access points seasonally. They are the only farmer's market, um, for, you know, in the city of Reading uh, and downtown. Um, when you talk about food deserts, you know, we, we definitely want to acknowledge the work that they're doing just by being there. Um, so we thought, let's set up a, a tent and you hand out you know a modified version of our containers. So because a lot of people um, access uh, the market on foot, uh, we did not want them to have to carry heavy boxes. So we omitted the soil, um, but we gave them the container and the plants uh, to and some seeds. We had some seeds um, from uh, Kathy Kerm Myers, um, who is also joining us uh, on the task force. Um, she cultivates. Albright's Victory Garden um, and Student Community Garden. And um, she is also a member of the Environmental Advisory Committee um, for the city of Reading. And so um, she had seeds, of course, you know, so we're all kind of like bringing our own little pieces to this and distributing. So that was phase three. Phase four, uh, just sneak peek because we haven't really decided, so I don't want to spoil it, but looks like we're going to be participating in the countywide virtual summer camp programs that they're doing um, in response to COVID. A lot of our different organizations like Burke's Nature, Olivet, Reading Rec, they're going virtual. And we thought there's probably a way where we could lead a virtual seminar on gardening for the youth in our community and have people sign up and actually get um, like salsa gardens uh, or something like that. Mm. Um, So, you know, there we are, four phases. uh, And and there's been a lot of support behind this. From day one, we've had people on the task force um, from the city of Reading, uh, like I said, the environmental advisory committee um, you know, the Food Trust, Berks History Center, Burke's Nature, the Berks Conservation District, the Master Gardeners. It's really been amazing bringing um, everybody together to talk around our uh, food systems, really. Um, there, there's been a, a lack of that for the past couple of years, so this was a good way to kind of bring it back and bring everybody back working together. Um, one thing I do want to point out too is that it really helped tie together all the different pieces of, of this food puzzle that we're working on. So, you know, Berks Nature is helping to navigate uh, nine of the um, city urban uh, gardens that we have. And then um, I talked about Albright's um, farm, and Alverney also has a student farm. So, those were, co- you know, considered victory gardens. Um, then we have the 250 containers that were distributed from, uh, you know, our initiative Cultivate Community. Berks History Center alone also did 250, uh, containers, um, to Berks County at large. And then I don't even know how many people are following and engaging with, um, you know, the Facebook and Instagram groups. So it's pretty monumental when you think about it. Um, people, people are involved. (laughs) Mm
1: -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah. So you mentioned that uh, not only do you have the starter kits for families and that you're looking to do these other plans, but kind of stepping uh, into one step further with the gardens that are happening across the city that Albright and Alvernia have, uh, and the ones that Berks Nature oversees. Mm -hmm. Has there been any plans to uh, not just revive them, but teach people in those neighborhoods on how to be resilient and how to garden properly? Because it's one thing to have the plants and take them home it's another thing for them to survive and to flourish and I worked for Brooks Nature for a couple years and they do a lot of great things and it just seems like and this is speaking from personal experience but it just seems like the gardens that are in the city have kind of fallen to the wayside or they're not been as given as much attention as they should have in the past.
0: Mm -hmm. One of the things that you, just like you said, you can give people a box of plants and say, grow, you know, all you need is sunlight and water and love, right? But, (laughs) um, you know, it takes a little bit more than that. So one thing that's been amazing, and I think, you know, Shana, to your point is we've been able to Uh, distribute a lot of information, um, literature, but access to information. um, And and we're hoping to use uh, the website um, from, you know, the Environmental Advisories Committee's landing page on the city's website is one of the places. Um, Those social media platforms that I talked about earlier is another place. We've been able to um, gather access to information and resources like uh, a free uh, 10 part um, webinar series on um, victory gardens, you know, or or how to grow or how to, um, you know, can or dry uh, your food uh, to make it go longer through the, um, the Master Gardeners, they have incredible educational programming, um, which we've been able to provide um, at free, you know, to anybody, um, you know, through through these portals. Uh, In addition, the Food Trust is pretty amazing because they do a lot of demonstration-based recipes, uh, also um, nutrition education. Um, which which is really a great resource, too, because it doesn't just stop at here's a plant, grow your food. It's what can we do with the food? Uh, How can we, you know, make it together, making recipes, you know, um, and then, you know, storing it um, for the long term, skill set building, you know, acknowledging even just the process of growing, uh, you know, working with tomato plants, all those fun things, getting our hands in the soil, why that's important. Um, So that was a big piece of this is trying to put those educational resources out and make them highly available and used um, to the community. Now that doesn't resolve um, what I think would be amazing is to have, you know, a garden stored. Um, or educator at each of our urban garden locations um, to really be providing that hands-on, you know, interactive uh, training and mentoring um, with people and and community members. But you know what, we got to take one step at a time. Maybe that's what, you know, if we can keep this task force active, uh, maybe that's something that makes sense for next year. Uh, when we know we have a little bit of a better grip on, on COVID and how to manage mm-hmm. that. Um, because I do think that, that that, you know, is is important, um, the person to person and skill sharing um, and knowledge. Uh, you know, a lot of that had been passed down through generations. You know, my grandmother taught me, I'm teaching my son. Um But, you know, we can't rely on the fact that that exists and everybody's coming from a a background that has that. So that would be an amazing opportunity, you know, to present that at least through our urban gardens. Um, We do see a little bit more of that with the universities. We're lucky to have both Albright and Alvernia um, boasting um, student and community gardens on their campuses That's pretty amazing. Um, I don't want to misspeak, Alvernia is relocating their their student farm to um, a little adjacent area to their um, Alvernia campus um, here in, in District One, but um, you know, having the students there—that's part of uh, you know what we're talking about, engaging with community members who who want to um, cultivate you know their own food.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's exciting because um, like, was it the Alvernia is the bog turtle? farm yes. and how they uh grow their own produce and they even sell it what at the penn street market
0: yeah they have a stand at the penn street market which is fantastic that was one of my former um uh, projects that that i got to uh, work on uh, revitalizing the penn street market i, I was actually uh, typing something up earlier today and i had to look up the date so in 2015 uh i i was um brought on uh, to revitalize and relocate uh, that the Penn Street farmers market and I I love that I was for three years I was able to work on that project and um, you know so happy that it's continuing the bog turtlers were one of the uh, (laughs) initial (laughs) vendors and they're still doing it they're still going Um, and they also have created uh, a CSA type program um, on campus for um, faculty and staff uh, which I think is amazing. I hope we take it one step further. Um, I hope that you know maybe they could cultivate a high enough yield that you could see that um, you know being used in their food uh, facilities. Um, you know their campus dining halls. Uh, you know a lot of the catering that they have for meetings and things. Um, there's a, there's definitely a way if there's a will, um, and so I hope that that's something they they'll be considering in the future.
1: Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. That's definitely one of those uh factors of my wheelhouse where <laughs> as soon as you started saying that, it's like, ooh, I like <laughs> that idea. Oh yeah, let's work on that together. <laughs> yeah. I'll- with um, (laughs) institutional
0: purchasing on a local uh, level, right? Like there's Mm -hmm. no reason why Reading School District um, should be handing out apples to the kids that were grown at Weaver's Orchard, right? Like we can do this, we absolutely can do this. And that was the premise behind one of the summer feeding programs I was able to work on in Oak Brook, um, kind Mm -hmm. of bringing those key stakeholders together. It was the first in the state of Pennsylvania um, to you know, acknowledge that um, 100% of the students that attend Reading School District are eligible for free l- breakfast and lunch programs. And in the summer, they are eligible for a, a free lunch program during the week. And mm. unfortunately, Oak Brook, um, the, the neighborhood, did not have a, a location that met the requirements to have a, a summer feeding program uh, lo- distribution point. So we were able to work on that and bring it together with the Brooks Community Health Center. There's a fresh, um, healthy uh, food mural now in, in Oak Brook, um, which the tagline there is happy, healthy Oak Brook. But the really cool thing is that we were able to work with the running school district and have clover farms milk, have you know fresh fruit from, from local farms and orchards, um, you know beef jerky, all of those things. Um, they were part of the lunch program uh, which was truly um, fantastic, and that's why we got the recognition. Um, because you're just not seeing it. There's a lack of institutional level purchasing directly from, um, you know, our farms um, and our providers, and we we mm-hmm. need to work on that. Because we saw, uh, we already had ideas that that that, that wasn't um, sustaining itself um, in our food system in the cycle, and now we saw it completely break down um, during COVID. <laughs> mm-hmm.
1: Yeah and it's it's exciting to see what's ahead with that and how it, I guess it's a it's a pro and a con that because of covid it brought us to realize how the supply chain that mm-hmm. supplied a lot of our local produce was insufficient and is now kind of disintegrating But that leads kind of into my next question of some Mm -hmm. of the things you talked about, where it's like, with this program, how could this help to, in addition to what the Reading School District does, to better provide people with local fresh produce? Because most of the produce that has been grown here, or if it's, like, if it's, if it's not just produce, it's local milk and cheese and eggs to local meat that's produced doesn't stay here. And mm-hmm. how could a program like this help to build a more local sustainable supply chain?
0: Well, people definitely are tapping into the, the local uh, food system now. You know, we, we had it, it was trending, it was popular, you know, by fresh, by local, <laughs> Yeah, but I don't think it really resonated and our farmers certainly weren't even supporting that model because people mm-hmm. were growing and going to farmers markets in New York and Philadelphia, instead of actually making that, you know, food available to our, our local population here. Um, you know, and then when you look at larger skills and modeling of farming, uh, you know, they're going more towards the manufacturing model of, you know, sending, sending their product, you know, or diversified value-added products out. Um, you know, so we really need to kind of make sure that um, on both ends of the spectrum, people are, are aware um, of the benefits of keeping our food system local, um, you know, and making sure our farmers know that it is viable, you know, for them um, as an entrepreneur to keep their food within our community and that we want it. And then we as consumers have to, you know, uh, support them with our local dollars, <laughs> you know, instead of, of going to giant, and no offense to, you know, our, our um, access points, right? So I, I certainly don't want to fault, um, you know, our markets, our grocery stores, um, but I do think that there could be better incentives and um, impetus behind them supporting um, uh, things that are locally branded, locally grown, locally produced, locally manufactured. Um, you know, so I, I think a lot of it is education. It seems to be there's a lack of a coordinator behind all of this. You know, there are some programs that have, have tried to establish themselves. Bountiful Burks is one of them. Um, you know, that was kind of like a hyper-localing, uh, hyper-local labeling um, opportunity or marketing um, opportunity to brand um, and build brand awareness for Burks County, you know, product. Um, so I think, you know, again, it's not pointing the finger at one end or the other. I, I think it's just making those connections and connecting people, um, you know, to, to be as sustainable as possible, um, you know, with the food system. Right. And, mm-hmm. and looking at, again, it's those three parts of sustainability. So we forget, I, I pretty sure you've heard this thousand times, you know, it's, it's, um, it's our economic, social, and cultural well-being, right? So, when when we look at that, we have to comprehensively use that in evaluating and building a, a food system, um, you know, that, that supports us. So, I, I think we can certainly get there. Um, I've heard it a couple times. Actually, uh, there's some programming coming up with some panels of of our local food providers and some major success stories that we've seen using social media platforms and kind of rallying together, uh, you know, with, with the uh, story of the egg farm and, you know, one farmer helping the other and, Mm -hmm. and, you know, instead of having to euthanize their livestock, um, rallying the community. And look, we, there was like a regional response to that. You know, it wasn't like, okay, you know, everybody in Brooks County, you know, that the news spread far and wide. Mm-hmm. So that's just a testament to show, like when there's determination behind, you know, a cause and a need, um, people will respond to that.
1: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I'm excited to see what happens. Cause like that family in particular, uh, where, what were they, the nesting box they're called? <laughs> yeah. The nesting box and Kimmy, um, the,
0: the entrepreneur, um, was the agent, um, kind of to call to action um, uh, to help the Zimmerman family, um, who was an egg farm, uh, and what they would do is actually, um, distribute their, um, egg product, like, to a liquid egg company, right, Mm. and the company said to them, sorry, we can't use it, like, we, we, you know, we aren't able to actually store and transport the food, the demand, you know, has been broken, um, so sorry thank thank you we'll we'll come back when we need it you know and how do you <laughs> you're talking about living animals you know you're, you're yeah. talking about you, know, you just can't you know and and for them then to to try to continue um their livelihood um you know one of their only options which may sound extreme to to people listening was to euthanize their livestock right mm-hmm. um And you never hope that people have to come to a decision like that. You never hope that people have to just dump gallons and gallons and gallons of milk. When we have people who are hungry, uh, when we have people who are limited to what they could purchase. So if they go into a retailer and they're limited to purchase, you know, a a mother of a family who might have multiple children, um, you know, and wanting to buy gallons of milk, when I grew up, I grew up with three brothers. There's four of us, like, you know, we could easily consume two to three gallons of milk a day. (laughs) Mm -hmm. You know, there's limitations on purchasing and then you have on the other side of it, you know, again, geographically, less than Mm -hmm. 15 miles away from you, gallons of, of, of milk being dumped. That doesn't make sense. And Mm -hmm. that's where we need to start addressing the problems in our food system.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I've, also think that this idea of we need to better think about how the city and the county are all connected and how one Mm -hmm. is dependent upon the other and they're not Mm -hmm. mutually exclusive from each other. And it's exciting to see that these conversations are finally being had uh cuz for so long there were all these different micro farmers that exist here in Berks County that I didn't even know about and or some something that somebody told me recently that I would have never assumed existed here but that's largely because they were supplied by a supply chain that serviced Mostly New York City. Mm-hmm. And so a lot of the local communications really didn't exist. And I hope that that can help to, in a way, rebuild our local economy or to mm-hmm. make our local economy and community more s- sustainable and definitely, pun intended, in mm-hmm. both the e- environmental and economic sense for sure. Yeah, agriculture
0: is a major uh, industry sector for Berks. That's not going away. You know, we have a lot of farmland that's been preserved. We even, you know, talking about the count, you know, the the rural versus the urban embracing each other, you know, because I don't I, I don't want to say like county and city, county and city, you know, um. Yeah, we have a lot of opportunities for introducing technologies like hydra and aquaponic and aeroponic systems, you know, um, you're looking at, you know, manufacturing facilities that no longer, you know, old factories and warehouses that are completely underutilized, you know, the most sustainable building most times is one that's already there. <laughs> yeah, it's just, mm-hmm. you know, so, um, I think there are a lot of opportunities, and you're right; these conversations are happening. Uh, you know, maybe they fell by the wayside, but now they're coming back, and people are talking about it. Um, you know, how how can we improve? Um, you know, again, it's you know we're we're all going to have to understand what a post-COVID world looks like, and the economy is going to be very telling with that. Uh, you know, so something like our, our food and, and agricultural industry is going to be very important, um, you know, to continue to sustain us as, as a county, as a community, right, mm-hmm. um, when it's, it's one of the largest sectors, um, you know, that, that we rely on. So, I think, you know, I'm very hopeful. Um, I am having a lot of great conversations uh, revolving around all the points that we've talked about today, including sustainability. Um, mm-hmm. And, you know, I really thank you for uh, creating, um, you know, sustaining with Shaina and creating this platform to, to open up these discussions. A lot of times, Shana, I realize that people don't <laughs> feel comfortable talking about sustainability, but when the conversation gets started, they, they actually very much are engaged and, and happy to talk about it. Um, you know, so so don't let that word <laughs> drive you away from what you yeah. already know or feel, right? It's like your purpose. Mm-hmm. Um, and thanks so much for, you know, creating, creating this environment in which we can have these conversations um, about it.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And I really decided to start the podcast because of those reasons where I knew that sustainability existed or that people were talking about it but it was not on a large enough scale that it was gaining traction. Or the biggest thing I thought is there are people out there that don't know if they can contribute to the conversation or they don't know how, or also the conversation is not as strong as other sectors. So trying to lift that up more and provide people space to talk about that and Mm -hmm. like last episode we talked about uh, the fact of like building a local economy that could have recovery and then the one before that was about racism so Mm -hmm. trying to incorporate these conversations that I think a the status quo when talking about environmental sustainability doesn't exist but then when we talk about sustainability even here locally we don't talk about the raw nature of it and it's Mm -hmm. it's definitely it's definitely really complex so it takes a lot (laughs) um yeah
0: It is. It is complex. You know, that's kind of really what I use as my um, philosophy to establish Gaia True Wellness, uh, which is really how I identify myself out in the community. A lot of the work that I do um, is community development based. Um, And, you know, it was the best way for me to kind of tie everything together to say, Mm -hmm. well, I need to focus on, you know, we talk about those three pillars of the, you know, profit, planet, and people. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and, and I think the more we talk about it, the more, uh, you know, people are going to realize that it's just kind of all around us everywhere all the time. We're already engaging. Um, most of us, I think <laughs> in some ways, shapes or form, mm-hmm. um, you know, so, so, uh, I think just telling those stories are going to be really powerful and I appreciate you doing that.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. Thank you. I appreciate your... Your interest in it, but not only like understanding the importance in it, because I think it's going to take time for some of us, I think, in the community to understand that sustainability has to have the seat at the table when talking about these complex, uh, holistic issues for sure. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and then that stems into my next question where so we're talking about sustainability and then talking about uh, the cultivating community through the victory garden initiative uh but what do you hope for an initiative like this being possibly tied to the city's climate action plan that is cur- currently in the being written as we speak um And I know that both of us don't have a seat at the table at the moment writing that plan, but like as somebody who's a city official hoping to see outcomes, like if somebody who is writing, helping to write the plan that's listening to this episode, what would you say?
0: Ooh, that's a good question. (laughs) Um, You know, first of all, how exciting is it? Uh, that we have a a climate action plan that is being driven by the city of Reading, you know, Mm -hmm. so kudos to that, kudos to Reading for 100, Um, you know, that just speaks to how progressive, uh, you know, we are um, in looking at uh, how we can influence uh, our community around us um, as a city. And, you know, so how does a Victory Garden tie into um, a climate action plan? you know, obviously, uh, you, the, you've you've got your. You know, for, first of all, you you can talk about you know climate change. Um, yeah, I I think that we we we've had the notion before that um, it it can draw and bring awareness to people that really um, you know we were talking about how sustain sustainability seems like such a high level concept you know and and people don't. Um, Relate to that sometimes. Mm -hmm. um, Whereas uh, I I think you, in one of our previous conversations, uh, maybe off the record, we had talked about a little bit about this about how people identify more so with, I'm hungry, right, or I need food. Um, Mm -hmm. And they're not necessarily, you know, tying that to, you know, why you know, <laughs> and the impacts of, of climate change and, and how that affects our, our land and our environment and our access to resources, you know, um, you know and, 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 and how that ties to how they're feeling hungry. Um, you know, so I, I think that's one of the things here where um, it's, it's a very safe way um, to kind of start to introduce concepts uh, that a majority of, you know, our population in the city of Redding may not even be paying attention to. They may not even um, be tuned into the fact that, you know, that's important, right? <laughs> or mm-hmm. it affects me, I'm part of that, um, or I could be part of the change, you know, that, that's needed. Um, you know, so, so doing that, you know, that's, that's one thing, um, you know, that's, that's easy, that's a quick grab. Um, I think that, um, you know, in reducing, um, you know, greenhouse gas emissions and things, you know, from an urban environment, I've, I've heard a lot of dialogue around just becoming more green and, and, and working with, you know, okay. So we've heard a lot about bike sharing programs and, um, you know, pedestrian friendly bike friendly access points um, we've heard a lot about development so this doesn't necessarily tie into um, you know the task force but it's it's related um, you know development opportunities where we're giving incentives to individuals to work towards lead certified buildings you know green initiatives um, you know Uh, using solar, you know, using alternate forms of of energy, creating green roofs, um, you know, using, I mean, the the (laughs) Berks County Community Foundation building is amazing. Uh, And I think just an example of, you know, how every building (laughs) in Reading could (laughs) Mm -hmm. incorporate um, a lot of these building um, techniques uh, to to help mitigate some some of what we're experiencing, and and really help beautify or lift the the oppression that that we kind of have in an urban core, um, when it's not kind of like we were talking about our sprawling <laughs> acres of preserved farmland, very different, you know, than than our our urban core. Um, so I mean, you know, that's two things that you know I can think of. Um, you know. Again, I, for me, what resonates really strongly is the ability to fight hunger you know when we 're talking about climate change and making that um, intrinsic like connection um, you know because then that person might realize they can grow their own food, um, then they could be more attentive and want to become a steward of green spaces, um, you know like urban gardens that we talked about. Um, it could encourage them to, you know, look at uh, different technologies of, of growing food, like we talked about with our Ponix systems. Um, you know, it could encourage them to, you know, think about, um, you know, our food supplies and, and our systems, you know, that we're talking about here. All of that could become relevant just from a, a task force, um, you know, on Victory Gardens. Uh, mm-hmm. I I don't know. I don't know if I'm really, you know, far off the the mark there. Um but I'm I'm proud of our city for stepping in and and making it a priority. Um, you know, just today, uh I was calling into the environmental advisory committee um, meeting and they talked about it and they said, "Okay, well, where are we with um you know, where are we with the climate action plan? And they were like, maybe late summer. Uh, you know, we've, we've gotten um, delayed a little bit with, with COVID and then the, the comprehensive trash um, program that the city's got going on. Um, but, you know, you, you look at climate action um, and it's, it's touching on a lot of different things. You know, it's touching on food and agriculture, which we talked about because um, that's kind of where this project is coming from, um, you know, and then I think it kind of opens the gateway or the door to understanding other components um, of our environment around us, our ecosystems, you know, being efficient, um, like I said, being stewards, and I think that's all part of of building a city around, you know, climate action and awareness <laughs> and mm-hmm. resilience.
1: yeah, Yeah, you can't have resiliency without having a sustainable food system and a sustainable environment for everyone, for sure. And all these issues are, they intersect each other and Mm -hmm. like this whole idea in wake of all these uh, demonstrations about the george floyd dying and adjust our racist system and it's like sustainability and all these other issues like racism are intersectional so there's this big Mm -hmm. terminology that's been popping up lately like um called uh intersectional environmentalism and just really showing Mm -hmm. that a lot of these issues intersect each other and you we can't afford to look at them in their own silos anymore because that's, right. just, that's not going to work.
0: Um, mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. I mean, that was a, that was a great uh, kind of thought to what could happen for the city and stuff like that. And I'm, I'm hoping that we can continue this uh, conversation and especially look further and deeper into that. But do you have any final thoughts before we wrap up here
0: I think that um, again people realizing your last point was really substantial in that they're connected there's so many ways that we're all connected and you know sustainability is really kind of bringing us all together um, you know, and making sure that what we're doing, our everyday actions, you know, just our awareness, um, where we eat, you know, how we get to where we work, <laughs> what, what we focus on, and how we spend our pastimes is all part of um, building a, a sustainable um, future, you know, and I know that for everything I do, I'm doing it for my son, you know, and, and, his, and his future, whatever that might bring, um, you know, and, and so I think letting that, uh, be a guiding principle for, for most people, um, you know, I, I think we're, we're on a good path ahead and, and the mm-hmm. future is bright regardless of, of what, you know, continues to happen, um, remembering that the future is bright.
1: Mm-hmm. So my first question to kind of wrap things up is, and these are ones you kind of have to th- You can't ponder too long. You just have to think about them as they come. And the first one is what's your definition of sustainability?
0: Oh, man. So my definition of sustainability is really ensuring the future for a healthy um, planet, uh, healthy people, and healthy uh, profit. Mm Mm-hmm. So just so, go with those three pillars yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah. absolutely it's the easiest yeah. way to like just you know because it could be a very long definition I think <laughs>
1: yeah yeah so with that what is if you could put sustainability into one word what would it be from that definition Oh um future okay
0: mm-hmm or in that definition, it, yeah, that would be future. Um, I think outside of that definition, maybe purpose. You know, okay. um, so
1: both are good. Yeah, I've <laughs> I've had a couple different ones. I've had sustaining. Uh huh. I've had green. Mm-hmm. So it's interesting to hear what people's different interpretations are.
0: Yeah, for sure.
1: So the next one is your. Favorite vegan dish. Oh, okay. This is so disclaimer.
0: I am (laughs) an ovo lacto veg. (laughs) Right. So don't hold that against me. um, Anybody who's out there in their full veganism. Um, Mm -hmm. But let's see if I had to choose one item that I make in my kitchen, it would be uh, stuffed, I do these, uh, quinoa and, um, black bean stuffed, uh, bell peppers. Um, that's, but, but in, in general, in a cuisine, I would say it would be like a Middle Eastern Mediterranean cuisine that I grew up with because a lot of those items just lend themselves to be vegan hummus mm-hmm. and um, baba ganoush and tabbouleh salad and falafel. Like a lot of that stuff is just vegan and delicious.
1: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I- I'm craving falafels as soon as you said. That's right. <laughs> Mediterranean. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It's my sure. soul food. Yeah. Yeah. I'm right there with you on that. <laughs> um, what is a favorite sustainable brand of yours? It could be anything, whether that's household to <laughs> personal wear to yeah, I, the, anything.
0: I love this question. Let me tell you why before I answer it. Because I feel like there was way too much, like, greenwashing Mm -hmm, (laughs) with mm -hmm. what's out there, right? So um, this hopefully will just generate awareness around things that are truly sustainable. I have to say my favorite product is probably Dr. Brunner's, you know, it was like one of the... (laughs) One of the first things that came into my life, where I started to even understand about sustainability, and like it, you know, he's definitely far out there and and like cosmic with his spaceship Earth and all one, and, you know. <laughs> but um, you know, did you ever pick up a bottle and actually read it, you know? And and the fact that it you that the company in itself and his philosophy um you know it ties together all the pieces of sustainability that we talk about even with businesses so we didn't talk about that today a a very little bit but you know like what principles can a business adhere to to be sustainable right Mm -hmm. and that he they they, that like dr brunner's like first of all you you take the product anywhere and do anything with it. <laughs> so, um, yeah. But also, it was like my first understanding, really, of like how comprehensive sustainability is.
1: Yeah, I actually use their products all the time um, <laughs> as like body wash. But mm-hmm. I, the strive, the eternal like striving minimalist of me, mm-hmm. cannot stand their labels as much as I love them because they're too busy so it's like I I don't know it's something as simple because it's like I tried reading the label and it's yeah. like not only does it have its principles too, right there's like random biblical <laughs> references yes and yeah. then there's Uh, a random part of their label that has, like, all the different uses of their product to the history of their product, and it's like, I know it's their classic marketing, and they stand out, and they're unique for it, Mm -hmm. but it's like, they, it's like a litmus test that they (laughs) put everything on their (laughs) bottle and label them, That it's like, this is us, there's no you don't have to go anywhere to look like this is all of us and who we are. And there's, I think even testimonials on the label. So yeah. All in yeah. one. All in one. Yeah.
0: It. Absolutely. Yeah. It's also yeah. a great like crash course sustainability. It's you know, yeah. like it,
1: it, here, take this
0: bottle. <laughs> yeah. Come to come talk to me.
1: Yeah, <laughs> for sure. Uh, so as my final question is, if you could have any job in sustainability as a dream job, what would it be?
0: Oh boy. Um, I, I, I honestly feel this way. Uh, I love what I currently do. Um, that's, that's why I founded Gaia Gayatri Wellness. And if I could just keep doing that, right, and in all the manifestations of that, you know, whether that's continuing as a legislator, you know, taking on various different projects, um, you know, working with the food systems, I, I love the ability to be able to do that because I feel like I get to tap into all the different facets of sustainability and be a champion for it, um, you know, that, you know, or, or maybe just going back to sustainable ag, you know, and having <laughs> a small little, um, you know, preserve somewhere um, and, and just being connected to the earth and, and having my feet back in the soil um, that, that I miss very, very much. But I, I would say truly just being able to continue doing what I'm doing um, would probably be my dream job.
1: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm yeah and you're doing a great job at it. I will say that
0: <laughs> thanks, Shana. Thank you so much
1: yeah you're welcome.
0: It takes all of us <laughs>
1: it does it does it, ta- it what's that saying? It takes a village to raise a child, and I think oh truth <laughs> it, it takes a whole city to raise an initiative for there sure. it is I love it <laughs> and, and let's see what the next
0: iteration of the Victory Garden task Force is. I really appreciate you. Um, giving light to the, that task force and the, the Cultivate Community Initiative, um, and always happy for anybody who has insight to share, you know, to, to see what manifests from that. So thank you for that opportunity.
1: Yeah, I'm excited to see what the road has ahead. So, Thank you so much, Lucine, for coming on and talking about uh, the Burke's Victory Garden Initiative and the task force uh that you're helping to spearhead in the city, and also the work you do as a city councilwoman and the impact that plays for the community so thanks again, and it's been a it's been a pleasure thanks, Shana. Thanks for listening to another episode of Sustaining with Shayna. You can now listen to the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Anchor.fm, and many other platforms. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast and of course leave a review or comment. To follow us on Facebook or Instagram, go to sustainingwithshana.com. Also, What you read and listen to here on the platform was carefully created and curated content made just for you, the listeners. Any generous donations can help to keep me supplying you with great content. Just go to Sustaining with Shana's website. Click on the donate page to donate. Glad you're here. Thanks a million for listening.